the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Stand Up For Jesus with your host, Craig Nedro, founder of Craig Nedro Ministries and Stand Up For Jesus. Our focus is to reach out to the lost and witness about the transforming power of Jesus Christ and calling on others to stand up for Christ and His Word, proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And now, Standing Up For Jesus, here's Craig Nedro. Welcome to the program. This is Stand Up For Jesus, and my name is Craig Nedro. On the program today, I want to continue the teaching series that I started last week, uh, and the subject matter is the rapture of the church. So last week, I took you to a couple of different places in Scripture. I talked about, is the rapture, the term rapture, actually in the Bible? I talked a little bit about what that actual event is going to look like, and then I, I went from there and described the physical transformation of our uh, of our fleshly bodies into spiritual bodies that takes place at the rapture of the church. And I want to continue today, and I want to mention one other area that the Bible talks about, and actually Jesus talks about the rapture of the church. And then I want to go back and finish the program today with Paul giving us um, some information about can we as followers of Christ be aware of this event that is on the horizon, or do we not do we not have any idea when this could happen? And so um, today would be part two of the teaching series on the rapture of the church. I do want to go back uh, for the first few minutes, and I want to kind of review the material from last week because it will it will preface and help you in today's teaching. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we started last week. And I'm going to move through this quickly because this was on last week's program. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And I'll stop several times and make brief comments about it as I'm going through. And the first comment I'll make is that Paul's talking to fellow believers. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. And when Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, in other words, he goes, he's basically saying, I want you to be aware of this event that I'm going to teach on, and I want you to be aware and understand it. So we are, as fellow believers in Christ, we are called to understand and believe that this is something that will take place. And he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And you'll see this here in a minute. I mentioned last week on the program that sleep in Jesus means somebody who is a Christian who has died. So Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, in that verse, Paul is saying, Listen, this is just not my opinion. I got this revelation from the Lord. He says, For we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now let me 
again, take just a second and, and give a little clarification because there's confusion that pops up when we talk about the coming of the Lord. And so I have spent years and years studying this, and you, you may or may not agree with everything I talk about, but I have looked at uh, the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord, from three different viewpoints. One is called a pre-trib rapture, one is called a mid-trib rapture, and one is called a post-trib. And what that refers to is there's a seven-year tribulation that is coming in the future. And uh, the pre-trib means that we believe that the, the church, all true believers, will be removed from this planet prior to the, the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. The mid-trib means that we those people who believe in mid-trib believe that the church will be removed in the middle of the tribulation period, three and a half years into it. And post-trib simply means that those people who believe in that believe that the church will be removed at the end of the tribulation. And so I have studied all three positions exhaustively for many, many years, and I have no hesitation to tell you that I believe in a pre-trib rapture. I believe that the Lord is, Jesus Christ is going to appear. Uh, He is going to remove all those who have died in Christ before us, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll see that here in just a second. And so then when I talk about the coming of the Lord, it's really a two-part coming. Jesus comes, does not put his feet on the planet Earth, but uh, comes and raptures, removes uh, true believers, those who have died and who remain in alive at that time, and uh, goes back to heaven with all those true believers. And then seven years later, at the end of the tribulation period, and you can read about this in Revelation chapter 19, Christ actually comes back to earth. We come with him, the saints come with him, and Jesus actually comes back, and then he actually puts his feet on the planet earth, and he establishes his 1,000-year reign. And so that the, the coming of the Lord is really a two-part. There's the rapture, and then there's actually what they what's referred to as the second advent of Christ. And I don't I don't mean to com, to cause more confusion. I'm hoping I'm clearing some up there. So Paul continues, and again I'm in First Thessalonians chapter four, and Paul says, <clears throat> "This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout." with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he clears up the those who are asleep in Christ. He says those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, like I said just a minute ago. And so let me, when people say, well, the word rapture is nowhere in the Bible, you have to understand, folks, our Bible was not written in English. English is a very shallow language, but this, you know, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an American, and I speak English, and I read English, and my Bible is in English. So when people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, they're mistaken. Those two words there in verse 17 caught up in the original Greek language, which is what the Bible was written in. That Greek word is the word harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. And then when the Bible was translated from Greek to Latin, before it was translated to English, translated into Latin, it's the Latin word rapturo, 
R-A-P-T-U-R-O. And that's where we get our English word rapture. So the word rapture actually is in the Bible. It's just not in the English language. It's those two words caught up. And that those two words caught up or the, the Greek word harpazo or the Greek, uh, the Latin word rapturo means to seize or to snatch uh, almost in a violent manner. And I've given a word picture before to people, and, and it's a very simplistic word picture. But imagine if you're watching a child playing in the street and you see a car coming down the street at a high speed and you realize that the driver's not watching. Maybe he's on his, his phone texting. And so you run out, and at the last moment, just before that car hits that child, you reach out and you grab that child and seize that child and snatch that child out of the way of the car to save that child from being killed. That's a really simplistic, good word picture for these two words, caught up or rapture or harpazo. And so the Bible says here that when then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with them, the dead in Christ, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Don't just throw that away. It's important we, we, that we really look at the words that the Bible gives us. And there it says that um, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain at the time of this event will meet them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, comfort, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So let me explain something there real quick before we move on to the, to, to the next section of Scripture. Um, if I knew that I had to go through the worst seven years on planet Earth when Jesus said, unless that time was shortened, no flesh would, would survive, or if I knew that I had to go through, through three and a half years of God's wrath on this planet, uh, where two-thirds of mankind dies and two-thirds of the earth is burned up, there are no words that you can give me to comfort me. Paul's giving us this message because he's, he wants us to understand. Listen, comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming for you. And so the, these words are to be a comfort to us, not to scare us, not to put fear in us, not to tell us, hey, you're going to have to go through the worst seven years on the planet in the history where two-thirds of you are going to die and two-thirds of the world is going to burn up. That, there's no words you can give to comfort me there. So then I went on last week and now go back over to 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 15. And again, I'm going to continue to move this through this quickly because then I taught on the fact that, okay, so let's say the rapture happens. What does that look like? When Jesus comes and those who are in dead in Christ rise first, what do they rise with? I mean, I mean, they're dead. What, 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 so they're in the grave, or they've been cremated, or whatever the case may be. How, how, how are they rise? How do they rise from the dead? What kind of body do they have? And so, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, Paul says in verse thirty-five, but someone will say, "How are the dead raised up?" Which is what I just brought up. And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless you die, unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or other grain. Uh, but God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Here's a, another word example. If you want corn, you plant corn. You don't plant green beans to get corn. You don't plant apples to get peaches. 
each one has its own type of seed, and each one has its own type of fruit that it bears. And so that's a good word picture for what Paul's talking about here. And Paul says in verse 39 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Easy enough to understand. He says there are also celestial bodies, and celestial means heavenly, and he says, and terrestrial bodies. Terrestrial means earthly. He says, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Now, to me, Paul does a wonderful job there giving an explanation about how we how the dead in Christ will be raised, and, and we who are alive and remain, we shall be changed as well. Because Paul's going to go ahead and you're going to see exactly why. we. I Listen, if Jesus came right now, the body that I'm speaking to you out of cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And it'll say that here in a few minutes. So Paul continues. He says there's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is, of, is, is the Lord from heaven. So there he tells you the first man was Adam, second man was Jesus Christ. And he says, as was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we born, have borne the, the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, listen to what Paul, I just love the clarity of Paul as he continues. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 50, I mean, verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And then Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. When Paul says that, Paul's saying, listen, I'm going to reveal something to you that has not been revealed before. So Paul says, behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And then he continues, and he says, We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die. But we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Remember, that's exactly what he said over in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Who's we? Whoever's alive and re- that remains at the coming of Christ. He says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I've described the actual, I've just done a quick review from last week's program about what is the rapture. And that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then I came back over into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and described about, okay, what's this this event that you talk about called the rapture? What's that going to physically look like for the dead in Christ and for those who are alive and remain? What kind of body? What's going to happen? And so that's what is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I'm going to take my first break, come back. I'm going to go to one more section when Jesus actually talks about the rapture of the church. My name is Craig Nedro, and this is Stand Up For Jesus. We return to Stand Up For Jesus with Craig Nedro on Christian Talk Radio, The Word, 100.7 FM. Welcome back. This is Stand Up For Jesus, and I'm Craig Nedro. This is part two of my teaching series of the rapture. Is What is the rapture? Is it in the Bible? Uh, where is it at in the Bible? Uh, can, can, can we? What's the description of the actual act of the rapture of the church? And then what kind of body, what kind of transformation did the dead in Christ receive and those who are alive and remain until the, the, the day that Jesus comes for, uh, as the rapture happens? And I've covered both of those in a review of last week's program. Now I want to flip over and I want to look at what Jesus has to say. So turn in your Bibles to John the Gospel of John, and go to chapter 14. Jesus has just had a conversation with the disciples, and he's basically told the disciples, listen, I'm getting ready. I'm only going to be here a little while longer, and then I'm going to depart. I'm leaving. And they're like, where, where, what do you mean? What do you mean you're leaving? Where are you going? And he says, where I go, you cannot follow right now, but you will follow later. And so um, they question him about it. And Peter actually says to him, I'll lay down my life for you. And in chapter 13, the last verse, Jesus actually says to Peter, says, Jesus answered Peter and said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. In other words, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, look, I appreciate your zealousness, but you will not die for me here. As a matter of fact, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny that you even knew me three times. And then Jesus enters into a a topic here that is very important for us to understand. He says in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, verse 1, "Let let not your heart be troubled. In other words, Jesus says, listen, just calm down, don't be troubled. And he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, and that word mansions in the original Greek language is the word mone, M-O-N-E, and it means dwelling places or actual living mansions. So Jesus says, now let's just take Jesus at his word here. Listen to what Jesus said. In my father's house are many mansions, dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let me stop on and teach on that for a minute because it's important that you get this. See, our, our finite minds have trouble visualizing what's heaven going to be like. What, what, what do you mean there's a heaven is, and God, there's a throne of God and angels are up there? Uh, what, what, what's heaven going to be like? 
Um, can we? Can in our finite minds really cannot wrap fully wrap our minds around what that what that's going to be like? We're given certain clues to it through the Bible. Uh, Paul gives us certain vi- uh, clues of uh, as to to what what uh, things in heaven will be like. I, I don't I don't normally do this, but I will endorse a book by a man named Randy Alcorn called Heaven, which is a fascinating, thought provoking, with a lot of um, imagination of what heaven will be like, based on a lot of scripture. Then Randy takes it and kind of runs with it a little bit. But here Jesus makes some clear statements. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many are many mansions. So he's talking about God's got a dwelling place. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, he's going, look, if, if God didn't have a place, if there wasn't a place, I would tell you. And then he says, I, I, I go to prepare a place for you. I don't know how, else, how much clearer Jesus could say. Jesus says, he didn't say, Oh, I'm going to go float around in the air somewhere. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Take him at his word. So Jesus has gone ahead of the disciples. He hasn't come back yet, so he's still there where he's talking about. And he has been, and he probably still is, preparing a place, not only for the disciples, but for all believers in Christ. And he said in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, this is an astounding statement by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, look, I'm getting ready to depart. Jesus is trying to give the, the disciples an understanding that, guys, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of heaven is not going to be set up in Israel right now. There are some things getting ready to happen that you have no idea that the nation of Israel, that the Jewish uh, uh, people really had no con- concept of, and that is that, the, that Jesus the Lord has to suffer, has to die, has to, be ri- has to rise from the dead and ascend to heaven and, 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 and sit at the right hand of God and then at a point in the future, he will return. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. We have trouble wrapping our minds around it now. But Jesus is clear. It's an astounding statement. Jesus says, you believe in God, I want you to believe in me. In other words, what I'm getting ready to tell you, lay your head on the pillow and understand this is the truth. And Jesus says, in my Father's house, hmm, it's a dwelling place, are many mansions, which is, again, in the Greek word mone, it means dwelling place. And Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I love the directness of Jesus. Even though I don't know exactly what that place looks like for me, I know that it's there because Jesus said it's there. And I think it's going to be greater than I could ever imagine. I think heaven is going to be, the Bible says, it has not entered into man's mind or into man's heart or into his thoughts what the what uh, heaven will be like. Guys, we can fascinate about it. We can, we can dream about it. We can talk about it. None of us really have a true picture 
probably even close to a true picture of how great heaven's going to be. First of all, we're going to be in the presence of God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to be in the presence of our past loved ones and other believers in Christ. There will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. God is the creator and controls everything. I believe that we will have some type of um, a new body that will not age, will not decay, will not die. I believe we'll have senses that we don't have now. If we see, we'll see clearer than we've ever seen. If we can smell, we're going to smell more than we've ever smelt. We will, our senses will be heightened. There will be colors we've never imagined before. I think, again, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it and meditating on it. And I will tell you, without any hesitation, I can't wait to get home to be in, he- to be in heaven because it's going to be so much greater than anything I've ever seen or witnessed here. And Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. That is Jesus, I believe, speaking about the rapture of the church. And he says, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, that's an odd statement, especially to the disciples, because they were thinking, Jesus, we don't know exactly where you're going, and, 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 and we certainly don't know the way. So when Thomas makes this comment in the next verse, I understand Thomas's comment. I I might have said the same thing. It says in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And in verse 6, this is where our faith as a a follower of Christ hangs on. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'm going to... To veer off for a minute here, I'm going to just give me a couple of minutes to make a comment about this verse. We live in a world now that people would say it's awfully narrow-minded for you Christians to think that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And I agree, it is narrow-minded. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And that word destruction in the Greek language is the word damnation. And he says, and many travel on it. But narrow is the road, and difficult is the way which leads to eternal life, and there are few who find it. You know why it's difficult? Because it just seems like a lot of religions would lead to heaven. What what, what do you mean? Are you telling me that all religions don't lead to the same place? I'm telling you 100% that all religions do not lead to heaven. I don't know how Jesus could have made more of a clear statement. First, let me read it again, and notice what Jesus said and then what he didn't say. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, oh, I'm one of the ways, I'm one of the truths, and I'm one of the lives. He said, I'm the way, a singular, only one. And then he says, no one. Okay, is there any question of what that means? No one. In other words, he's not saying most of the people or some people. He says no one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, that's that's my life verse. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus is the only way I'm going to the Father. 
That's why it's absolutely crucial that I had to make a personal decision in my life to surrender my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And that's why I surrendered my life to him, and it's an individual decision. I can't save you. I can't make that decision for you. You can't make it for me. You can't make it for your grandchild. You can't make it for your brother. You can't make it for a parent or a friend. It's an individual choice. I chose Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to take my second break and come back. My name is Craig Nedro, and this is Stand Up For Jesus. More of Craig Nedro and Stand Up For Jesus on Christian Talk Radio. The Word, 100.7 FM. Welcome back. This is Stand Up For Jesus. I'm Craig Nedro. This is part two of my teaching series on the rapture of the church. Uh, last week in uh, part one, I talked about the actual physical act of the rapture that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and what that what uh, and why the word rapture is in the Bible uh, that was written originally in the Greek language, and in the Greek language are two words in the English language that are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Those two words, caught up, are from the original word harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O, and then when it's translated into, into Latin, that's where we get the Latin word rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O, and that word rapturo translated into English are the two words caught up. So the rapture is in the Bible. It's taught clearly. Then I went back over into 1 Thessalonians chapter 15, where Paul talks about it. Okay, if the rapture is a true event, what does that look like? When it says the dead in Christ are are raised first, and then we who are alive and remain shall shall meet them in, in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air, What's that look like? How do we get the new body? Is it, Are we in the same body as we have now? How are the dead in Christ rise since they've got a dead body? And Paul describes that in detail in a wonderful manner in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then I went from there, and I actually talked about where Jesus talks about the rapture of the church, and that's in the, the Gospel of John chapter 14. Now, I want to flip over back over to 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, go back over to 1 Thessalonians. And I want to continue in 1 Thessalonians. And I want to go from chapter 4 into chapter 5. Because this is really important that you grasp this. Because some people say, listen, you know the Bible says that no one knows the day or the hour. And that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The Bible does say that. And I will tell you 100%. I do not know the day or the hour, and neither do you. No one does. The Bible says no one does, not even the Son of God, only the Father. So nobody knows the day and the hour of the return of Jesus. But I will also tell you with 100% certainty that the Bible gives us dozens and dozens and dozens of signs of what this world will be like from a physical aspect, a spiritual aspect, a morality aspect, an economic standpoint. The Bible gives us so many signs of the last days leading just up to the return of Christ. And I will tell you also without any hesitation, we are living in these very last days. I don't know the day, the hour, the week, the month, the year, but I can tell you this, we are getting very, very close to the return of Christ. 
And I will also tell you this without any hesitation, though the Bible says that the, 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 the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, as a follower of Christ, that does not apply to me. I'm not to be taken by, uh, by surprise like a thief has just broken into my house when this happens. And people go, Craig, the Bible says that it'll come as a thief in the night. Okay, well, let's look at what the Bible really says about this. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul continues. Remember, in chapter 4, he has just said, he just taught about the rapture. And in verse 18, Paul says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And remember, back over in verse 13, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. So Paul's talking to believers, and he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Okay, I'm on. I'm on board. So now, in verse 5, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, still talking to believers, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And you go, Craig, there it is. States it, okay? And so Paul says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord does come as a thief in the night. Great, I'm on board. But look at the next verse. Because Paul says, for when they say... Okay, now hang on a minute. Who's they? If Paul's talking to believers in Christ, then they would be people who are not believers in Christ. So look at it like this. You have believers in Christ that Paul's talking to, and then you have unbelievers in Christ. And Paul says, for when they say, they being unbelievers, peace and safety, then and, and you may say, Craig, I don't agree with this. Well, just hang on with me here. Paul says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, woman, and they shall not escape. In other words, when the rapture happens, they, being unbelievers, they will not be removed. They will not be caught up together with the believers and with the dead in Christ. And look what Paul says in verse 4. It's important that you grasp this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse, verse 4, Paul says, But you, brethren, again, he's, ta- there's, he's talking two different groups, brethren and then non-believers. And he says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Folks, let's stop and l- let me reemphasize this. Yes, the Bible says to unbelievers, the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes and raptures the church, Unbelievers will be like a, be caught like a thief in the night. They they're not looking for it. They don't expect it. And when it happens, they will be completely caught off guard. He says though in verse four, but you brethren are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as the thief. In other words, Paul would say to us, guys, if you're a follower in Christ, follower in Christ, do you not see all the signs that we're getting very close to this day? There's, and I've done a teaching before. I did one several years ago, 44 signs were living in the last days. And I gave 44 signs all backed up with Scripture of signs that were living in the very last days. I guess what I need to do pretty soon here is go back and teach on that again because the Bible gives dozens and dozens and dozens of signs with Scripture that we are living in the very last days. If you... If you sincerely look at the word and study the word from uh, with this in mind, you have to be you have to bury your head in the sand to go. No, no, I don't. 
No, I don't see it. No, no, I think you're wrong. No, no, not don't see it. I can tell you, if I sat down with you for an hour and gave you sign after sign after sign after sign after sign that we're living in the last days just before the return of Christ and gave you descriptions of what the world is like right now and that we're all 100% on target, you'd have to be a... You have to be burying your head in the sand to go, no, I don't think it's, no, I don't see any of that. Folks, Paul tells us, as followers in Christ here, he says, but you brethren are not in the darkness so so that this day should overtake you as a thief. He says, continues, once again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 5, he says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Paul tells us here, we should be watching. So if we're not to be able to tell any of the signs that we're getting close, why would, why would Paul tell us to watch? There's another place in Second Peter where Peter says, uh, knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, uh, what manner of lives should you lead? Hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. And that word hastening means eagerly awaiting. See, as followers of Christ, we need to be watching. We we should be eagerly watching and waiting for this. I'm going to take my last break, come back and finish up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. My name is Craig Nedrow, and this is Stand Up For Jesus. Back to Stand Up For Jesus with Craig Nedrow on Christian Talk Radio, The Word, 100.7 FM. Welcome back. This is Stand Up For Jesus. I'm Craig Nedrow. This is part two on the teaching of the rapture of the church, what it is, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the transformational um, word picture of how we receive our new bodies. I talked about in John chapter 14 where Jesus actually talked about it. Now I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where Paul says, you know, because the Bible says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, but Paul says, you brethren are not in the darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. See, to unbelievers... When Jesus returns, it will overtake them as a thief in the night. They don't have a clue what's happening. But we who are believers should be watching. Paul says, let us therefore not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In other words, Paul says, think about something. You can't see very well in the nighttime unless you have a light. It's during the day when you really can see clearly. Paul uses that metaphor and says, listen, concerning the day of the Lord, concerning Jesus coming for the church, folks, we should be watching for it. We should be studying. Uh, what, are, what does the Bible say about, these, about the days just before the return of Christ? Are we in those days now? Paul says, look, we should have, we should have a clear mind. We should be seeing these things clearly as in the day and be watching for these things. And, and he says, we, we, but let us who are of the day uh, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and hope and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, for those, again, that think that, we, that we're going to go through the tribulation and then be raptured, let me, let me share the next verse, because the next verse is su- such great news. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, Please listen to this. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how else to read that than this. God says, look, 
The tribulation is a seven-year period where Jesus said it's the worst period in the history of the world. If it was not shortened, all all flesh would 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 uh, perish. But God says, I, "I that's not my appointment for you." Here in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine, Paul says, "God did not appoint us to wrath, folks. God did not appoint us to wrath." Think about it. If as a parent. If you know your child's getting ready to 100% getting ready to enter into the worst trial of their life and you can help them not have to enter that trial and go through that trial, would you not um, re- would you not remove your child from that? Or are you going to go, no, nah, that's a character builder there. I'm going to let that child go, you know what, my child's in the house next door and that house is on fire. He's either going to get out on his own or he's going he's gonna to die, but I, it's going to be a character builder. That, that's crazy. And so our Heavenly Father, in His love, says here, God did not appoint us to wrath. God doesn't want us to have to go through seven years of the worst period of the history of the world. It says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, come get us and remove us. And He says in verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So He's saying, look, Jesus is coming and he's going to take you out of this seven-year tribulation period. And there Paul says it again in verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Well, again, if, if you're telling me, Craig, you're going to go through either three and a half years or seven years where two-thirds of everybody you know on this planet is going to die, and two-thirds of the, of the trees and the earth is going to be burned up, and, and it's going to be the worst, unless those days were short and no flesh would survive. You can't say anything to comfort me. What you need to say to me is, hey, brother, it's road warriors getting ready to happen. You better better arm up. Here we go. That's not comforting. Folks, I want to read one other verse to you, and I only have a few seconds. But listen to this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 1, verse 10. And it says, We are to wait for his Son, God's Son, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And that those two words, delivers us, or d- that word delivers, is the Greek word ek, ek, which means to take out of or to rescue. He, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want you to understand, I've studied this for years exhaustively. And I want you to know that we are close to the rapture of the church. The next major event that on the timeline, God's timeline, is the rapture of the church. Everything that has to happen for that to happen has happened. I hope you've enjoyed this teaching. I hope it has helped you. I want you to understand. Take comfort. If you're a follower of Christ, you do not have to fear what's going on in the world we live in right now. My name is Craig Nedro, and this is Stand Up For Jesus. You've been listening to Stand Up For Jesus with Craig Nedro, founder of Craig Nedro Ministries and Stand Up For Jesus. If you would like more information about Craig Nedro Ministries and Stand Up For Jesus, visit our website at craignedroministries.org or give us a call at area code 469-688-7615. Be sure to listen next week at this same time as we Stand Up For Jesus on Christian Talk Radio. The Word, 100.7 FM. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.